All right, church, we're finishing up today. Book of Revelation. I know what you're thinking. You want me to keep going all the way to the end, but I really don't think you want to get into the middle of the plagues right at Christmas time. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to stop at chapter 4. But I've called this Welcome Home. You know, that's the one great thing about any time you travel is when you come home. Because, you know, even if you're having fun on a vacation, when you get home, you know that feeling of relief, right? You know that feeling of being able to relax, of saying, you know what, when I was out, I had to worry about money. I had to figure out where I was and what I was doing. I had to make the GPS obey me. You know, it's always tough when you travel. Well, the great thing is when you get home, it's all over. And you can be home five minutes and forget the tiredness of the journey. Amen? You can be separated from loved ones, but when you have that homecoming, it'll be like you were never apart. That's the blessing of it. So today I want to look at it. Revelation chapter 4. Heaven is designed for God's presence. There's been a lot of questions this week on the television. What is heaven like? What do we do in heaven? Have you ever wondered that question? What do I do in heaven? Do I really sit around in a diaper with wings on a cloud and play a harp? I hope not. I don't like harp music. If you're a harp player, forgive me. But you know, I, I don't, that's not how I see eternity. I don't see God preparing me to sit around on a cloud and play a harp. So what does heaven look like? What do we do? The first thing to understand, heaven is not for you. Heaven is where God is. You're simply invited into his presence. Let's take a look at it. Revelation 4, 1 through 3 says this. Remember, he's just given the seven letters to the seven churches, and now God changes it up. He says, after this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. Remember the open door, very important. The opportunity, God's given him something special. There was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and the throne was set there in heaven. One was seated on the throne and the one seated looked like jasper and carnal in stone. A rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounded the throne. May God bless this to your understanding. This is a picture of what heaven looks like, church. Heaven does not look like Madison Avenue. It's not all shopping stores and Starbucks, okay? That's not heaven. Heaven, okay, I hate to say this. In heaven, there is no hunting, there's no fishing, there's no shopping. Now, for those of you who just gave up on heaven, don't. It's better than all those things wrapped up. Look at this. I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. So John has been receiving these seven letters. He's been writing the seven letters to the churches. Now he sees what looks like an open door in the heavens. And look at the voice. Come up here. So John is being caught up from the earth to heaven. He says, I was in the spirit. This means he was in the spirit world. He didn't physically rise up into the clouds, but the Lord took his presence, his consciousness up with him. This is an image of the rapture. I told you, chapter 4 of the book of Revelation is about the rapture. Now, before I get along, let me be honest. Uh, I'm an academician. That means I'm a studier. There are about 13 different opinions of the book of Revelation chapter 4. 13 different ways of interpreting it. One thing they all agree on, heaven is where God's presence is. Everything else is just how we read it, and it's all a little bit subject to how you see things. But understand this. Come up here and I will show you what must take place 
after this, after he's written these letters, immediately I was in the spirit and a throne was set there in heaven. Now one was seated on the throne. When you see this, one was seated on the throne. If you're a good Jew living in the first century, the first thing you think of is the book of Ezekiel. I've never preached on Ezekiel, but I will one day very soon. It's a great book. It's an amazing book, Ezekiel. We don't have time to read through chapter 1 today, so I'm going to give you a little bit of references, a little bit of reference points. And when I do that, I want you guys to take the time later to go back and research it. Look through it. Be sure that I've read it correctly. Remember, just because I say it don't mean it's so. Can I get an amen from somebody? Just because I say it don't mean it's so. But if you go home and you read the word of God and that's what it says, then you will be convinced in your spirit of what is true. We did that last night Bible study. You must be firmly convinced based on the word of God that what is so is so. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 26, it describes the vision that Ezekiel has of one who sits upon the throne. Of one who sits upon the throne. Very similar to this. But he gives a very good description here. The one seated on the throne looked like jasper and carnelian stone. Now let's stop and fall back. Ladies, how many of you like shiny stones? Other than diamonds. Everybody hates rubies. Okay, fine, be that way. Okay, jasper is a crystal clear stone, but it's of a white color. It's like clear white. It's a beautiful stone, jasper. Now the thing is, jasper in Hebrew culture stood for purity, pure white. Something that was not stained, something that was not convoluted. Pure jasper was like clear white. It always stood for purity. Now, carnelian was the opposite. Carnelian was a blood red stone. Okay, those of you who know what I'm, what I'm talking about know where I'm going. So this image of one who sits upon the throne is the image of purity and blood. Blood being the sacrifice that God instituted for the Jewish people. Blood being what was necessary for the remission of sin. How are we saved? By our good works? No, by the blood of Jesus. So when John sees this vision, he sees both purity and blood. This tells him about God's purity and God's redemptive purpose. Remember, God does not live to condemn you. God lives to redeem you, to redeem his people, to redeem those who have faith in Christ. Now the world gets all hung up, and I've seen it this week. They get hung up on, just like with Aaron's teacher, well, keep that outside. We don't want to hear that narrow-minded, bigoted stuff about one God, one Savior, one way to heaven. Well, I'm sorry. When there's a one-way street in a city, how many ways can you go on that street? One, because it's a one-way street. Heaven is a one-way street. And I'm sorry if it offends people that there's no other way to get there. There's no bypass. There's no go-around. We were very frightened Tuesday night that we were not going to be able to get here. I mean, Saturday morning, we sat here at men's prayer, and we talked about how are we going to get everyone to church because we thought they were going to close off Oberlin and Hillsboro. Then we'd be like a little island in the middle. Praise God they didn't do that. They left the way open. So we are all, all able to get here this morning on time. Thank you, time change. Works out really well. So he says that it looked like Jasper and Carnelian and a rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounded the throne. Now, rainbows only go from one side of the earth to the other, right? This is an image of a rainbow that completely encompasses the throne. So the throne is there, and the rainbow goes completely around it. 
This in the Hebrew culture was an image of complete holiness, complete righteousness. So what John is seeing is not just sort of regal, not just kind of righteous, but completely righteous, fully righteous. That's exactly what John sees. That's why he's overwhelmed. You know what Brother Doty said is very true. If we could come to church and get a glimpse, just a glimpse of God's holiness, of his righteousness, of his love for us, I think we'd be like Aaron. We couldn't wait to tell people about Jesus. So I'm going I'm I'm to wear Aaron out today. This is going to be my sermon example for the day. You know what's amazing? God always gives you that perfect example right before the sermon of, of the focus. And the focus of heaven is not about us, not about what I'm going to do. It's about who God is. And he is stunned by this image. He says, John, come on up here. Let me rapture you. Let me catch you away from the earth. And I will put you in God's presence. And you will be blown away at how holy he is. What does John not say? Well, there's some nice golden streets over here. And there were some sapphire buildings. And there were some beautiful parks and fishing ponds. I know, Pastor Ken, that just kills your heart. No fishing in heaven. But hey, there you go. Would you, would you rather fish for a fish or look at Jesus? You know what I'm saying? There we go. It's what's happening. So his glory is shown. You can also find that in Ezekiel 128. I encourage you guys to write this down. Ezekiel 126, talking about the one on the throne. Ezekiel 128, talking about God's glory as it was shown. Remember, Ezekiel had the same experience. Ezekiel lived in a sinful country, a sinful nation. The people of Israel had turned against God. And Ezekiel was shown something phenomenal, something amazing. Do you know why Ezekiel had such a unique vision? Because God was about to ask Ezekiel to do the most difficult thing a prophet had ever done. God was going to make him model in his life and in his body exactly what he was going to do to Israel. At one point, Ezekiel had to lay on one side of his body for one year. And then God gave him a break. He got to stand up and lay down on the other side for a year to show the people what it was to be in bondage. Ezekiel was going to be asked to do something terribly difficult, to sacrifice his whole life. But first, God showed him a complete picture of who he is. That way, he would have the strength and the knowledge to go through that time together. So that's what we have. Heaven is designed for God's presence. It is there to encompass that beautiful rainbow that surrounds the throne, that throne that's like a giant stone, that one who sits on there who embodies purity and redemption. But go on. Revelation 4, 4 through 8. Heaven is designed for God's praise. Somebody once said it right here in church. If you don't like praising God, you will hate heaven. Because heaven is not about you. It's about the praise of God. See, when Ezekiel saw what he saw, when John saw what he saw, he couldn't think of anything else. He couldn't look away from that throne, from the one on the throne. How easy is it, church, for us to get up and go to church on Sunday morning, and we get here, and because of whatever happens on the way, our mind is 100 miles away, and we are in the presence of God, in the presence of His Word, reminded of His love, and we're untouched. We're unmoved by this amazing God and His love. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the sad thing about Sunday morning. People miss the point of being in church. Church is not a punishment. It's a privilege. The worship that we just sang today, 
Sweetheart, that's dress rehearsal. Heaven's the real deal. All eternity is about is about praising God. That's what heaven is. It's not about what you get to do. It's what you get to give back to the God who saved you. And you know what? It's not going to be like we're forced to do it. We have to do it. or We're, we're just bound to do it. We're going to want to do it. So we're going to see that one who sits on the throne. And the only thing out of our mouth will be praises for that amazing God. Heaven is designed for his praises. Look at this. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders, meaning 24 older men, dressed in white clothes. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. With golden crowns on their heads, flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. The sevenfold spirit of God that we talked about all the way back in Revelation chapter 1. Now it says, something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was before the throne. An amazing description of heaven. Very different than anything you've ever seen in any of these magazines or they talk about heaven. I went there and it was glistening buildings and it was beautiful boulevards and, and all this stuff. And that's not what John sees. All he can see is this amazing canopy of crystal before this giant throne upon which God himself sits enthroned. Now it says this, there's 24 thrones. The big question is, who are the 24 guys on the thrones, Right? Like I said, there's about 13 different interpretations of who these guys are. And some say they're angels. But later in Revelation, the angels play a different role than the 24 elders. I know what you think. You think, okay, well, there's 12 tribes of Israel. So maybe 12 of these guys are Israelites. And the other 12 guys are the apostles. Well, you know, not counting Judas because we had to get rid of him. But we put Paul in his place. Maybe it's them. I don't think so. Go back in your minds, church. We've been through the seven letters to the seven churches. What was promised to the churches who endured, who held on, who didn't give up their faith? Can you remember one thing that is constantly promised? Actually, two things that are constantly promised to them. Cast your mind back. To the victor goes the, the Stephanos of God, the victor's crown. Remember I told you last time? There's two crowns. There's the diadem and the Stephanos. The diadem is the crown of royalty. The Stephanos is the victor's crown. It's what the Olympians had on their head, uh, the, the, the woven laurel leaves. That's a Stephanos. But this is a golden Stephanos. And it's what's given to the saints to show who they are in Christ. Remember, the, the apostles said to Jesus, Lord, we, we've given up everything for you. What, what do we get out of the whole deal? He said, you will sit on thrones and you will wear crowns, and you will rule with me as I rule with my Father. So this sounds like these 24 guys represent something very important. I believe they represent those saints who've been taken out of the world, those who've been raptured up before the coming. Why do I say that? Chapter 5 and on, if you want to go ahead and read it, chapter 5 and on talks about the opening of the scroll, the opening of the seals, and it talks about all the disasters that are going to come upon the earth. Now, I've told you already from the scriptures, we are destined to tribulation, but not to wrath. You know the difference, right? Tribulation is what comes from man against God's people. Wrath is what comes from God against those 
who oppose his people. We are not appointed to know the wrath of God. So we can't be here when the wrath is poured out. This image that John receives is prior to the coming of the Lamb, prior to the taking of the scroll, and prior to the opening of the seals. When the seals get cracked, that's when the four horsemen of the apocalypse come. That's when death and plague and disaster and war are unleashed. And that's when all the terrible things that come upon the earth come. After he gets his people out of there. I believe this is us, church. You know why I believe it? 24 elders dressed in white. Remember I told you they had the beautiful black woolen cloth in the one city? And God says, no, you're not going to be dressed in the slick black cloth of the city. You're going to be dressed in white because white is the symbol of purity. Being completely cleansed of all of those things that were bad. So we're dressed in white. Also, we have golden crowns on our heads. The word in Greek is the Stephanos. We will have Stephanos on our head. That is what was promised to the saints who endured through the seven churches. If you are faithful, you will be dressed in white, showing you are purified by Christ. You will have a crown on your head. This is us, church. This is our destiny. You want to know what heaven's going to be like? Here it is. There will be the one who was seated on the throne, who is both purity and redemption. We will be on smaller thrones, circling his, facing his, as those who are subordinate to a king sit beneath him. Let me ask you a question, church. Is it good enough that God allows us to sit in a lower position in his presence, yet with the victor's crown on our heads? Is that good enough? Or do you want something more? Do you want to be a ruler? Do you want to have power? Do you want to be able to shape continents? Well, guess what? That's not our gig. That's not our job. Because heaven was designed for God's praise. And who can praise God better than the people he's redeemed? Think about it. When we come in here and we sing, you know, I'm sorry, I'm old. I like old songs. When Martin Luther penned the words, Almighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Believe me, I take that to heart. They were trying to kill Luther when he wrote that. He was shut up in the walls of the castle to keep him from being murdered. And he said, my God is the bulwark. He is the castle. He will protect me. That's why our hearts erupt with praise. I'm going to charge you something, church. If you come into church on Sunday morning and you can't find praise for God, I'm going to say it's a 50-50 shot that you're not saved. It's a 50-50 shot that you are not saved. Now, sometimes conditions, cancer, bankruptcy, divorce, the death of a child, the death of a parent, these things can take our joy temporarily, temporarily. But when you come week after week and you have no joy in God's presence, I have to ask you, have you ever been saved? Have you ever experienced redemption, cleansing, forgiveness? The mighty men talked this Saturday about being accepted by God. And one of the hardest things for men to do is to accept that we've been accepted. I'm sorry, men struggle. We like to earn the things that we have. We want to say, look at what I have earned. Look at what I have bought. Look at what I have built with my hands. That's how men are. We're like Nebuchadnezzar. But the truth is, God gave us everything we are. We didn't earn it. Amen? That's why you praise. You praise because you don't deserve any of the good. I don't deserve my wife. I'm married up in the world. And nobody said amen. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I have got an amazing daughter who's both brilliant and good looking. She got her mother's looks, not mine. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. We had the chance to go spend some time with the young guys in the church. Uh, yesterday, we got, we got to go out and spend some man time together, uh, even though the girls were present. And it was great. It was great to spend time with them and to laugh and to joke with them. I feel completely blessed and unworthy to be who and what I am. But it's God's grace. And that's why I cannot keep from singing. There's another old hymn for all you old people. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. The only reason you don't sing praise to God is you don't know him. Let me tell you the truth, church. That's the truth. If that stings this morning, that's God trying to heal you of whatever's going on in your life. There should always be praise for God because he saved you from a certainty of hell. That's why these elders are doing this. They have crowns. They have white robes. They are regal. But they are beneath the God who saved them. It says, flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder came. Man, that's Ezekiel all over again. Ezekiel 1.13 talks about that lightning, that thunder, that, 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 that thundering voice coming from heaven that Ezekiel saw. You know, and it says right here, and then before that was the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold spirit of God. We've seen that already. And at the end it says, something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was before the throne. People, read Ezekiel 1.22. When Ezekiel saw it, he saw there was a blue sea of glass before the throne of Almighty God. Ezekiel was blown away because God wanted him to know, this is why you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer because I am holy and my people are not. You're going to suffer, Ezekiel, because they need to know the truth, and I am sorry, it has to come through your life lesson. Church, if you've been through pain... If you've been through suffering, if you've been hurt, you are a walking testimony of God's goodness. Because through it all, you're still here, amen? You are still here. Even if you got lost along the way, even if you got messed up in the head, even if you have forgotten that you are a child of God, now you know it. Heaven is for his praise. So church, I would get to practicing, okay? No musician steps up on the stage and plays without practicing. Nobody. Because that's just disaster. If heaven exists for one purpose, the praise of God, get with the program, church. Learn how to praise him. And you can look every day in your life and see reasons. Look at the friends you have in your life. Look at the grace and the mercy he extends, the goodness he shows to your children and your family. You will find ample reason to praise God because he is good. Amen? Amen? That's the truth of it. Now look at this. And I say, why are there 24 elders? I don't understand this. So you go back to the Old Testament. The priests took turns serving in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Now they had what they called ranks of priests. Not, not, not ranks like in the military, but ranks or files or, or, or sections of priests. Anybody care to guess how many ranks of priests are in the Old Testament priesthood? 24. 24 ranks of priests. Now, church, you're thinking, wait a second. There's 24 ranks of priests, but these cats are dressed like kings. Okay, what does the New Testament call us as God's children? We are a nation of priests and kings. Now you got it. The Word of God tells us we are both priests and kings. Kings because we reign, because we carry truth. 
We carry righteousness, integrity. And priests, because we administer before him. We pray for those who are lost. We pray for those who get caught up in the world. And when stuff happens and messes us up, we pray for those around us. We perform the function of a priest. Ladies, you're both priests and kings. Well, princesses anyways. There you go. Because those are the duties that we discharge. Keep going. This is so great. If you press on more. It said there are four living creatures covered with eyes before the throne. Okay, this is still in verse 6. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were in the middle and around the throne. So you got four living creatures in the midst and around the throne. I love this. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Hmm, I've heard those before. Check the book of Ezekiel. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, here's heaven, people. Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. Don't forget, Jesus is coming back to the earth to reign. But not until the rapture, and not until the seven years of tribulation on the earth. Then, he who was and is, is coming back to this earth. And he will not reign in an ethereal, heavenly realm. He will reign from the rebuilt temple in the city of Jerusalem from the seed of David. Christ will rule the earth. Don't ever doubt that fact. Jesus is coming back, and he will serve as the king of the earth for those thousand years up to the earth's destruction at the end of that time. This is an amazing, amazing look at what heaven's like. Can you imagine being in a place where the very walls of heaven shake with holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I went to a youth conference once. Guys, you want to lose your minds? I went to a youth conference once. There were 4,000 college-aged Baptist students in one building at one time. You ever heard 4,000 screaming Christians praising God at the top of their lungs? Blows your mind. And it shapes your spirit. When you realize you're not the only one who praises God, you're not the only one who gets excited about who God is and what God is doing, Sometimes we are just too reserved. We need to pull off the bands. I mean, I hear before when the, when the runners were finishing us here, man, they had the music blasted, didn't they, Rich? They had the tunes going. Sad thing was I knew all those songs, and they were from the 60s and 70s. You know, they had Korean's Clearwater Revival going. I'm like, whoa, hello, I know that song. There was no reservation over there. They were celebrating. They had run a race. They had lived through. Okay, some of them vomited up in the middle of the parking lot but that's okay some of them were some of them were exhausted they had those little silver things on that made them look kind of creepy one guy god bless him he came back to me rich and he had on a kilt i'm thinking batman ran the marathon in a kilt no wonder he was celebrating he was happy he finished the race church this is where we finish the race this is where we're done we're done with the race when god calls us home God willing, I live to see the rapture. Or I get to 119, whichever comes first. But when I go home, I'm not going to moan. I will have finished my race. I will celebrate with my God the way they celebrated today in the streets. They were celebrating whatever it was, a 5K, 10K, whatever it was, 26 miles. They were celebrating that. We're celebrating finishing a life. 
that glorifies God. How amazing is that when you think about what heaven will be like? And all the praise will be not, hey, look at how good I did. Look at how many souls I saved. Look at how big my church was. Or look at how much I gave in the offering. It'll be, how great is our God? That's what our life is going to be like. That's what we want it to be like. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. I want to be there. I want to hear that echoing in the halls of heaven. I want to be like Ezekiel, and I want to see that sea of glass. In fact, Ezekiel 1.18 talks about the creatures who were in the presence of God, and they were covered on all sides with eyes. Now, if you're a visual person, and you see a creature with all eyes, that's just creepy. But the all eyes simply meant this. God sees all things at all times. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. There is nothing that goes beyond the grasp or the vision of God. If you're in a bad place today, if you're hurting today because of what happened this week at work or a fight you had with your spouse or your children, I know those things happen, but that's life. Maybe you're, you're just upset because things aren't going the way you, you thought. Or maybe you're, you're struggling to get that first great job after college and you want to go forward. Or you're looking for that, for that perfect man. <laughs> Give that up. No such animal. No perfect men. Remember, men are kind of like used cars. You get what you get, and you love it anyways. Just so you know. Anyways, whatever the week was like, you're here now. And we're in God's presence. And that's, that's what it comes down to. And God sees where you are, and he sees what you went through. And believe me, his attention is on you. His love is with you. He is there for you in the midst of it. But you've got to call on him. You've got to let him be part of all those different situations in life. So that's why heaven is designed for his praise. Nothing in heaven exists except for the praise of God. That's why you were saved, by the way. You were not saved because you were such a wonderful person. You were saved so that you could accomplish the plan of God and make his name known and testify to his goodness throughout the world. Somebody in this room, your destiny is not in North Carolina. Your destiny is maybe in South Carolina or Myrtle Beach. No, your destiny is to go somewhere else and there carry the name of Christ with you. Maybe Aaron's destiny is to be an evangelist in some other country where women are oppressed, and she will have a voice for women in that country. Not that I'm prophesying, but I'm just saying it could happen. And we have to be willing to go to fulfill whatever it is God builds us to be. Let's finish this up. The third thing, heaven is designed for God's presence, it is designed for God's praise, and heaven is designed for God's purpose. This one, you really got to go for this one. It is designed for God's purpose. Look at what it says, starting in verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, church, your job, right here, verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne. They worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God. God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and because of your will, they exist and were created. You want to know why heaven will be consumed with the praise of God? That last line's it. Because you have created all things, because of your will, we exist. We were created. We were redeemed. We were given the chance to be there. John was invited up through the open door to see heaven. And each one of us has been invited to see Christ through the word, through worship, 
through the personal quiet time and Bible study. You are called every day to encounter this amazing God. And you know what? There's an old song that says, and, and, and the, okay. oh my gosh, I just forgot it. It's older than I am, though. Um, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I forgot the opening to that, but I got the last one. That's it. You see, when our focus is on Jesus, everything else fades. Nothing else is important. You know, not, not the lady that shortchanged you at, at the McDonald's, and, and, and not that person that said something bad to you on your Facebook, and, and that person at work who made a snide comment about you. None of that's important. Now, you guys do know, by the way, that when I'm pointing at someone and saying something, that you can be absolutely certain that that didn't happen. I'm not going to out anybody. You know, I say, you know, I'm not into that, but... I'm just making examples of what can happen in our lives based on who we are. We all go through these situations. Like I said, the, I was in a church parking lot once, and I was pulling in the church parking lot, not this one, another one. I was pulling in the church, and one, one of the guys that I see every morning for Bible study cut me off. And I beeped real quick because he cut, he flipped me off. Before prayer meeting, I'm like, dude, you did not just do that. But you know what? We went inside, and, and he said, well, some, some so-and-so just, I said, dude, that was me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? Get mad at the guy for flipping me off on a, I think it was like a Tuesday morning at 5.30 in the morning. I can't afford to get angry about that. It just doesn't matter. I mean, George is a great guy. I love him to death, but he was like 79,000 years old, and so, you know, I just didn't blame him anymore <laughs> for being what he was. So when I tell you that you have, to, you have to just cut the world some slack, really, I mean, I swear every morning going to church at our last church, every morning, somebody would flip me off on the road. I'm like, is it a conspiracy against me? But the people, the people in that part of the world are just mean anyway, so don't ever go to Tacoma, Washington. There's mean people out there. But um, so I know about having to let things go and forgive because in the light of who God is, none of it matters. It's not going to be remembered. It's not going to count in the importance of how life goes. Because God doesn't redeem junk, amen? God's not a hoarder. He doesn't pick up junk and stack it in a corner. He redeems jewels and gems and precious things that he loves and he takes care of. And just like gems, he keeps working on all of us, knocking off those facets and making us who we need to be. So none of us are what we're supposed to be yet, but we're all on the way, amen? So the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne, and they worship the one who lives forever. They cast their crowns. By the way, that group, Casting Crowns, that is where the title came from, you know. This is, this is where they got the name for their, for their group, Casting Crowns. They cast their crowns down before the throne. Why? Like I told you, we are kings and priests. What do priests do? They make the offering before the throne. So when, when they cry, holy, holy, holy the Lord God, we throw our, our crowns down because our crowns don't matter in comparison to his holiness. He put the crown on our heads. Why shouldn't we throw it back at his feet where every lesser ruler should cast their authority at the feet of the one who gives them authority? That's what worship is. That's what church is. It's casting our crowns down before a living God. And we say you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. You know, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready for heaven? Are you guys ready for heaven? I want you to stop and think about it. Really. I mean, the world is a great place. I enjoy living. I enjoy living every day. I get up and I just love my life. Um, 
But here's the thing. When the trumpet blows and God calls us up yonder, when the roll gets called up yonder, sweetheart, I'm not waiting for y'all. I'm going. When he calls me, I'm out of here. I might, I might, I might tap the wife, but she's going with me, so it's okay. The kid's going up. Yeah, I don't even forget you. You're going up too. I know. See, I kind of hope it happens on a Sunday morning. I think it'd be funny if, if the rapture came back right now. Poof! And suddenly, like, everybody's gone except for one person in church. And I'm like, you know, talk about motivation, though. Talk about motivation. If we're all like, and hey, Jesus could come back any minute, poof! We're all gone. And there's one, one guy in the back goes, wait a second. Where'd everybody go? Talk about motivation for getting saved, right? So you can never tell what's going to happen. First question I want to ask you is this. Our purpose in heaven is to praise God. We should see life as the beginning of an eternal process, eternal purpose. If we're going to do this for eternity, let's start now. Let's make every day praise. Let's make every day a chance to tell the kids in our class that there's a Jesus who loves them and that he's real. And find out who the lost folks are and pray for God to open their hearts. Two, heaven was designed for God. It's his dwelling. Remember, before we were here, there were angels. What did the angels do? They surrounded and they praised and they glorified God. That's what they were doing before he made us. And then he made us, and that's still our purpose. That was Adam and Eve's purpose, to praise the one who created them. So it displays his glory. It is his throne room. We are just privileged to be pillars in his temple. It's a great scripture. I love that one. You know, we, we, we are pillars in his temple. We encountered that, didn't we? Finally, let the hope of eternity inspire you to fulfill his great commission. No fear, people. No fear. All somebody can say is, no thanks, I don't need Jesus. But you know what? When you find the one person that says, you know what? I want that Jesus. I want that joy. I want that peace. I want that confidence. I want that assurance that if anything happens to me, whether it's a car accident or cancer or Hurricane Sandy or anything else, believe me, when Hurricane Sandy came on shore and the lights went out, there was a lot of prayers being said. The question isn't what you pray in the middle of the storm. It's did you mean it and what happens to you afterwards when you come out from the rubble and you're still alive? Are you changed by what you encountered in that moment? So having said that, we're going we're gonna to be leaving the book of Revelation for right now. We'll be jumping back. Ladies, the next couple weeks are for you. We are starting the book of Ruth. We're starting the book of Ruth, and this is the reason why. Christmas is coming, right? Because the pastor is getting fat. No, that's not a different song. <laughs> Anyways, Christmas is coming, and the purpose of, the, of Christmas is the Redeemer. The central hero, heroic figure of the book of Ruth is the Goel. The word Goel means the Redeemer. Our Redeemer. So we're going to study the Redeemer then so we can see the Redeemer now. All right, amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Father, I thank you that heaven was made for your presence. That, Father, there we will see the purity. We will see the redemption. We will hear the walls echo with your praise. Father, we will be able to join in that praise. Father, we can fall on our knees. We can throw before you any glory you put upon our heads for the righteousness that you've given us in Christ. Father God, we will be able to see that, that beautiful rainbow like an emerald. We'll be able to see all these things that Ezekiel saw in his day and John saw at the end of his life. And Father, you will let them be for us a 
a dwelling place, a home. We will, be, we will not just be pillars in the temple. We will be actively worshiping you, giving you glory, joining with the angels, Father God. And we know that when you return to the earth after the seven years of the tribulation, Father, it says your saints go with you. They go before you. And Father, it says that we will help you to pass the word of righteousness and, and to preach it throughout the earth. And so, Father, I thank you. Fathers, we turn our attention right now to the Lord's Supper. Father, we turn our attention to this Passover celebration. Father, we remember that there was a time when we did not have eternity as a hope. Father, there was a time when we did not know that the future was secure. And Father, now, because you have come into our lives, we can celebrate this Lord's Supper. We can celebrate this feast. We can celebrate this, this time when we remember our redemption when we remember the price that was paid for us. Father, as we celebrate this now, receive our hearts. Father, if we have sinned uh, this morning or this week, Father, if we have sinned in what we thought or said, Father, forgive us. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness, according to 1 John 1, 9. Father God, receive from us the praise due your name. And Father, I pray that as we do this, we do this in remembrance of you, to strengthen us, to pull us together as your people until the great day of your coming. Jesus' name, amen.